Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another exciting edition of the one, the only, FNO InsureTech. You've listened to all kinds of podcasts, but you've never listened to one like this. <laughs> Isn't that right, Lee? That is so true. That is so true. Hey, how great is it to be back? We're back uh, doing another podcast. That's we, exciting, right? We're back doing another podcast. And why is that particularly exciting this week, Lee? Well, because last week we yes. did a podcast yes. in, in London, England. In The two of us were in London, England. Our first on-site across the pond podcast, and now we're back over here in the states. Yes, indeed. we crossed a big body of water. Yes, indeed. We How exciting. We actually did a podcast last week. We we went to London. Lee and I went to London. We had business to take care of there for alacrity, mm-hmm. and had a terrific week on the business side. Yeah, and had Matt got an invitation from Matthew Grant or extended an invitation to Matthew Grant to have him on our podcast. Yeah, it was a great time. It was a great time. Yeah, and a great podcast that you'll be hearing about real soon. Speaking of secrets, we have uh, an episode with the co-founder and CEO of Leak Sentinel on with us, Bill Loesch. Bill is a longtime Silicon Valley entrepreneur, super successful, even legendary, who has decided to try to conquer a problem that is super hard for a number of different reasons. And that is putting together a leak detection device with that addresses all the problems and limitations that there are with those. And understanding that there's lots of different leak detections out there, right? There's the, the ones that you put underneath your sink. There's the ones that cut off the pipe. Uh, he's out there to see how can he uh, create the perfect leak, de- leak detection device and water stoppage device. So it'll be a great listen. And it's an unusual podcast. So we ask that you listen to it and uh, and then let us know what you think. It's uh, it's it's this is this is a different kind of approach to solving a problem than what we usually hear. So instead of uh, getting into detail on it, let's go right to our episode with Bill Loesch co-founder and CEO at Leak Sentinel. Hey, everybody. We are here with our guest, a special guest coming to us from... Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. Silicon okay. Valley. Where else, Rob? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's where innovation well, happens. Well, you, you know as well as I do, Lee, we get people from all over the this crazy world. You are okay? right. We actually and don't get very many from Silicon Valley at all. No, no, we we haven't been in Silicon Valley much lately. Um, but we but it's great to be back. We are pleased to have with us today from Silicon Valley, as he said, Mr. Bill Loesch, the CEO and co-founder of Leak Sentinel. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Bill. Thanks for having me. Bill, what was it founder? Single founder? Well, no, it's a it's a small team. Um, oh, okay. And you know, I, you, you want me to start in with sort of how we got there, or uh, you have some more you want to 
say to begin with? Or? We have a, we have what we like to call a self-directed podcast. <laughs> okay. We do. So, so, which basically means you do whatever the heck you want to, and we try to keep up. So please jump in with the history. That's a great, always a good place to start. So I have no background at all in insurance or water or anything like that. Okay. Or even IOT, actually. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. I started, I have started four companies. This is my fifth. Two of them went public. One got sold. Oh, wow. And one went bankrupt. <laughs> so, you know, they don't oh, all. That's, that's a pretty good ratio, man. <laughs> Uh, a few years ago, I got involved in angel investing in, in the Silicon Valley. And in 2018, I was approached by a guy who had worked for me for many years at my previous startup. Uh, and he was doing some engineering work for a company called Bowie, which I don't know, you may not remember the name, but it was a a company that uh, in, in uh, Santa Cruz that was looking for angel investment. And what they were doing was uh, building a cut the pipe automatic shutoff device. And as you probably know, these cut the pipe automatic shutoff devices all basically do are, are built the same way. They they glue together a electrically controlled shutoff valve Mm -hmm. It's some kind of a flow meter in a box, okay? Mm -hmm. And right. so I looked at it, but when I learned about the cost, I passed on investing because I felt that it was not a mass market. Um, there was really two problems with it. The, you know, the core cost of the hardware is pretty, pretty high. Right. And then the fact that you had to have a plumber to install it made it just you know, prohibitively expensive. And, and yeah, like, like a thousand dollar plus investment. Yeah. So I, I thought, well, you know, um, this is just not a, not going to make it. it interesting. I don't know what this matters to you guys, but Bowie was acquired by Residio. Uh, it turned out to be kind of a, you know, mediocre investment. So I actually would have made a little money, but Residio wound up shutting it down after a couple of years. Hmm. But, you know, Bowie's one of, you know, was one of the many cut the pipe solutions out there that I'm, I, I'm sure you guys know about. Um, sure. Yeah, we, we've had a few on the, at least one on the podcast. Well, uh, Flow by Moen is Flow by most Moen. Yeah, sure. Most well, notable. That was a startup in LA. Um, right. Yeah. Gabe so, Alimi. you know, after I, I, I learned about this space from, from my old colleague, I got interested in it because I had a couple of water leaks myself, okay? And um, I thought, you know, this is a real problem. What, what could you do about it? And so I started investigating. And what I found was is that there are basically two different technologies available. And this goes back to 2018. So this is old data, but interestingly, it hasn't changed. Two different technologies available. One is what um, I call puddle detectors. Sometimes I call yeah. them. Right, right, right. They're basically little kind of hockey puck things you stick on the floor. Like and, roost. Exactly. And if mm -hmm. there's a puddle of water, it uh, measures the resistance. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a basically, you know, what it has is two little electrical probes and it measures the resistance between the probes and the water makes the resistance go down. And so it says, okay, water. Okay. So yeah. it's basically a puddle detector. 
The other solution is uh, the cut the pipe shutoffs that we talked about, where you have a, a device that is installed on the main water line going into the house, and it's uh, installed by a plumber, and it it, it um, detects flow or measures flow, and if it sees continuous flow for too long, whatever you define too long to be, it automatically shuts off the water. Okay. Right. Now the, the individual puddle detectors, as, as you know, they cost, you know, in this 40 to $50 range, but you need multiple of them for, to cover a house. How many is not very clear. Uh, so that can be, you know, hundreds of dollars and the cut the pipe shutoffs that typically the device itself costs about $800. And then the plumbers, another, you know, somewhere between 600 to a thousand dollars to install it. So these things are interesting, but you know, mm-hmm. one of them, the puddle detectors isn't very effective in reducing losses. Why so? Well, the underlying problem is that you don't know how many detectors you need or where to put them. And in fact, the where to put them is really complicated because it's got to be downhill from wherever the leak is. Sure. If you accidentally put it in a high spot. Yeah, you're screwed. (laughs) The the water will pool up around it, right? It'll take a while until you have like an inch of water and then you're, you know, you've already. Correct. Yeah. The, yeah. in, in fact, years ago, when I first started on this, I, I talked to a, a guy at HSB who told me about their test home. Okay. They have a, at that time, anyway, they had a two-story test home that they deliberately flooded and to test the efficiency of, of pucks. And he was very, uh, how should I put it, skeptical about uh, pucks as being a very effective way of, of minimizing leak water loss because his point fundamentally was that it was so location and number of sensors dependent that it was essentially um, unpredictable what sort of efficiency you'd get in any given house. Which, from the you know the insurer's point of view, really isn't very helpful, right? I mean, in one house, you might detect a leak very quickly and it'd be incredibly efficient. In another house, and another set of placements, it would be inefficient. And you you know, as he pointed out, we had one case where, you know, there was like two feet of water and it didn't didn't detect it. You know, so so that's the underlying problem from the insurer's point of view of uh, you know the how the how those things work. On the other hand, the cut the pipe solutions are extremely reproducible. It doesn't matter how big the house is or, you know, how many bathrooms you have or whatever, you know, if water's flowing continuously for too long, you have a problem. Okay. Yeah. You need yeah. to shut off the water. All right. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the, so I concluded. <laughs> so then I, you know, I started to look at, so that was the technology. So you saw, you saw an issue with both. I saw an issue with both, and the the issue with the, the the pucks is that they're they're not they just aren't very efficient in reducing losses, and the issue with the cut the pipe solution is they're very efficient in reducing loss, but they're too expensive. Okay, so mm-hmm. the other thing that I did was I I went around, I talked to people, did some market research, and I I concluded 
And, you know, this was <laughs> my own personal conclusion. But and I, I stated in a very uh, aggressive way. It's obviously exaggerated. But I concluded that there is no consumer demand for water leak products. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a big bummer. bummer. You know, I I didn't exactly want to go there, but thank you. (laughs) Thank you. It's seeing that it's not our company, it's yours. Yeah, um, thank you. I think think that you uh, kind of hit one of the various nails right on the head there. It's it's just you know all these people who think that they're going to sell it to end users are, it just never happened and flow well it. it's like you know buying meteor hitting your home insurance you know is it in the world of the possible yes is it hard to relate to yes right, right. You, you, so. you, you Rob you just said what I was going to say you know from the insurer's perspective. Water leaks are a very high incidence problem. The worst, the worst. Yeah, right. Exactly. But from the homeowner's perspective, you know, given the the the, the statistics on the incidence of water leaks, I you know, I could go for ten years and have less than a ten percent chance of having a water leak. You know, why am I going to? Plus, you know, no one ever died in a water leak, and. I have insurance. <laughs> and, 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 and there's, there's two groups of people who, who appreciate it uh, off, off the bat. Group yeah. number one are, is our insurers. And group number two are the people who've had it happen, right? right? That yeah. little, co- that, that relatively, that, that if you say it's 10%, we'll use that number. That 10% of people who've lived through having their, a flood in their house. Well, right. it's probably more yeah. than ten percent because it's, it, okay. you know the, the incidence rates are like two percent per year, but okay. even there, you know, when you go and you try and sell to somebody who's had a leak, you know, they oh yeah yeah yeah, but then you tell them look, you know, you'd want to spend uh, fifteen hundred dollars on this problem. Uh, no, no, <laughs> my deductible's not that high. <laughs> well, yeah. and look, financially, it's not so clear that it's a really good idea. It's really a good idea for the homeowner because. If you have a water leak, uh, you know, of any magnitude, you're going to be into it for your deductible. Okay. And so mm-hmm. the, the thing that a water leak detector does is it cuts off the peaks. That's what a cut the pipe solution does is it, instead of having, you know, 15,000 gallons of water in your house, you know, you get 1,500 gallons of water. All right. Right. And what and that it makes means- a difference. It makes a huge difference to the insurer, but it makes no difference whatsoever to the homeowner from a financial point of view, okay? Because Mm -hmm. they still have to pay out their deductible, okay? Because, you know, there's some damage, right? I mean, as long as there's some damage, it's usually over the deductible, okay? So you you see these two existing things and and then what happened? Yeah, what do you do? There's an epiphany coming. So my conclusion, and this is a classic Silicon Valley entrepreneur conclusion, is that what was needed was a a technology innovation that mimicked the functionality of cut-the-pipe solutions at a tenth the cost, okay? Cool. I mean, if I could deliver what a cut-the-pipe solution does instead of at you know, $1,500, but at $150, that's pretty interesting. That was my, that was my conclusion. Okay. So I set out to the, you know, a small team of friends and <laughs> helpers to try to achieve that. 
And that's what that's what we've done. Okay, so we're in a very simplistic way. What we're doing is we're offering a a solution that has the same uh, function as a cut the pipe solution at a much lower cost. So you mean it'll turn your water off? Yep. So. I mean, you, yeah, give us a little insight into that. Yeah, I mean, so how does this work? All right. So, yeah, yeah. so so Leak Sentinel, first of all, we've been working on this for four years. This isn't an easy problem. Okay. And we finally right. have proof of concept. All right. There's been no venture capital investment because the venture capitalists won't invest. All right. Also, I, I'm tired of venture capitalists, but that's a separate issue. <laughs> We, we started, um, obviously, with the requirement that the, a plumber not be required, right? We don't want, you know, if you, once you get a plumber, right. there's no yeah. way you're going to get the cost down. It's a, it's, forget it. That's, yeah. that, that, so, that blows it. So the first thing you have to do is you, gotta, you, you recognize that every home has a main water shutoff valve by code, okay? Every sure. single home, okay? I know where mine is. Yeah. And so, you know, the question is, could we design a robot to clamp onto that and open and close it? So what we did is we went around, we took pictures of hundreds of real world shutoff valves. All right. And what we found was that plumbers are like modern artists. The pipes go every which way. It's just ridiculous. I mean, you just have- Yeah, everyone's got to be different. What were they thinking? You know, at some places- Or or were they- yeah, yeah right. right. Because in some cases they made the valve deliberately very hard to get at. You know, it's like weird. Uh, and in addition, not only are the pipes going every way, but there's all kinds of other devices that are in the line. You know, best example is pressure regulator that's right next to the valve. You know, so it, you 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 have this very tough you know problem of you you can't assume like the pictures you see for some competing shutoff devices, that this valve is neatly located in the middle of five feet of straight pipe, okay, on either side. That just doesn't happen. The other thing we we did is we did market surveys and we surveyed a bunch of homeowners and we found that roughly 50% of homeowners have gate valves, the kind with the wheel on top that you turn a bunch of, you know, four or five times to open and close. Yeah. And yeah. the other, the other fifty percent had ball valves, the kind with a handle that that uh, one handle that you turn a quarter turn to open and close. Yeah, I think that's what I have. So we, you know, we concluded that you know you better be able to complete, you better be able to handle both kinds of valves, and you know that was that was another requirement that we found. And finally, uh, living in California, where you know we don't have freezing conditions. And so the water comes in outside the house, and typically there's no AC power nearby. So we wanted to have a device that could be either AC powered or battery powered with a rechargeable battery, uh, because we felt that, I mean, you know, Texas, Florida, California, these are all places where it's difficult to find AC power uh, Near and, and all the cut the, the all the existing cut the pipe shutoffs require AC power. Okay, so we we spent a huge amount of time working on different design approaches, and uh, we tried a whole bunch of different stuff, and we finally uh, came up with something, and it has basically three key innovations um, that make it work in ninety percent of of real world homes. 
The first innovation is, is that it supports both ball and gate valves. It has actually a, a motor shaft and then it has snap-on adapters to connect to the ball valve and a, and a different adapter for the gate valve. Time out. And I'm asking seriously, what is a ball ga- valve and what is a gate valve? So the, the, is, that, uh, is that the actual thing that you turn yeah. so the to, valve, to make the... There, there are two basic types of valves, but water valves that out there. Okay. 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 So, I mean, that's all really, let me explain it. You you know, you, you, and you know, if you just picture this in your mind, the ball valve has this handle, okay. That you turn a quarter turn to shut and a quarter Mm -hmm. turn open. And it's a, it's a long handle, maybe three or four inches, just a straight. Yeah. Yeah, Like a, a, a commercial one you might see. Yeah. Now the, the gate valves are the ones that have the perforated wheel on the top that you turn, you know, four or five times to close and open. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. So it's, it's two, there are two very different types of valves internally. They're different and that the way you actuate them is different. Okay. So there, that's, that's what, that's the difference. Okay. Is they're, they're very different both internally and the way that you make, you know, the way you open and close them. Okay. Clear. Perfect. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that was the first innovation was to be able to support both with one device. Okay. So we don't. It'll do. Uh, so one device will do either, which and they're device, both quite different. One, one device with a little adapter that snaps onto the motor shaft to change, you know, so you put the ball okay. valve adapter on or you put the gate valve adapter on. Little okay. piece of plastic, basically. The other, um, <clears throat> the other innovation was that we uh, came up with a single point of attachment that's only five eighths of an inch wide. So what you need is five eighths of an inch of round open space that is on either side of the valve and anywhere from one and a half inches to three and a half inches from the center of the valve. So this this little tiny round section can be really anywhere next to the valve. All I need is one tiny round section to attach to. All right. And I don't have to be on both sides. I don't have to have a specific distance from the the pipe, you know, from the the valve to the the attachment. So it makes it very flexible. And then I mentioned the battery and AC power. So those were the three main innovations that we came up with, with for this device. So that, that took us actually uh, a couple of years Really, I mean, we did a lot of research, a lot of you know testing of different valves and different sizes and so on. After we had perfected the mechanical uh, design, we then looked at okay, how do we do flow detection? All right, right. And obviously, um, if we wanted to stay away from plumbers, we had to use some kind of non-invasive flow detection technology outside the pipe, okay? There are basically three different types of non-invasive flow detection technologies that have, I mean, that are in wide use, thermal, acoustic, and ultrasonic, okay? Mm-hmm. Right. After looking at all of them, we decided, we found that acoustic was that offered the best combination of accuracy and low cost. 
And the uh, acoustic technology is based on the underlying physics that whenever water is at high pressure, you know, your water is at high pressure in your home, whenever it escapes through a showerhead, a faucet, a pipe break, whatever, when it escapes to atmospheric pressure, there's a sound that's generated. That's what you hear when you turn on your faucet. And water, as you know, is a very good conductor of sound. And that sound travels throughout the entire pipe system in your home. Okay. Oh, wow. And in fact, this technology is not new. Water utility companies have for years been using what they call listening sticks to check yeah. leaks in water mains. So this is, right. this is well known. Okay. Right. Um, but a critical benefit of acoustics that we incorporated is, is that the sensors can be placed inside the same housing as the actuator. So you have one thing to install. Okay. You have this robot that sits on top of the valve and it not only actuates the valve, but inside the robot are the, the acoustic sensors that detect whether water, water is flowing or not. Okay. So that's the, that, that was what we wound up with. And of course it, again, that took another couple of years. Okay. That was non-trivial, but um, we, we now finally have uh, proof of concept prototypes and they've been tested uh, by a large insurer and shown to accurately detect flow and automatically shut off the water. So that's, that, um, well, you know, well, it's, let's just stop, stop here for a second. So, one of the unique things about um, your your company and your process here is that you're not necessarily like holding. <laughs> For those of you who are listening to this, we have the benefit of of seeing Bill, and Bill sees us. Unfortunately for Bill, and so um, and so, you're not necessarily trying to sell that device, correct? Well, we are, but but not to the homeowner, okay? And so that gets to the question of how do we go to market, you know? And so, okay. right, we yeah, we, because right now you're not at, I so, mean, you're not selling this device today, well, right? But, but first, yeah. first you first you did a POC and successfully, yeah, and you finally got it, and and like you said, this wasn't these weren't easy, couple of difficult problems here, right? You finally solved them. You have a POC that that with a big check mark next to it. So now what? Yeah. So now what is, you know, as we talked about before, our view is, and, and you know, is that there's no demand for homeowners to buy this. So, um, so you're not going to Home Depot with it. Right. And, and our view is this absolutely has to be driven by the insurers or there is no market. Okay. So if the insurers don't, aren't interested, we wasted our time. Okay, it's that simple. And I love that thesis. Yeah. Our view is is that it's time for insurers to start mandating these solutions. Now, what do I mean by mandating? It's important to understand that mandating doesn't mean who pays for it. They're two separate questions. Okay. Mm -hmm. For example, Chubb and AIG install a cut the pipe water shutoff valve on every home that, that they insure that experiences a water leak. So they're effective after, after they've had after one. the leak after as part of their repairing the house. Okay. And so they're effectively mandating it, but they're paying for it. 
Okay, mm -hmm. so that's one way to mandate, all right? And obviously for that approach to make sense, there has to be a positive ROI for the insurer. Yeah. Okay, if there's not a positive ROI, you don't do it. Okay, <laughs> period. All right. Right. And, and since we are assuming, and I believe correctly, that Chubb and ARG are very smart insurers, we believe that they, they know that there's a positive. Very ROI, smart. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, but we actually, what we did is we went out and we put some uh, simple models together to calculate the, you know, the theoretical IRR of devices. And we decided to use a benchmark of the three-year internal rate of return, IRR, it's called. I, maybe, you know, I think you're probably familiar with that. But basically, you want that to be higher than the cost of capital, okay? If it's higher than the cost of capital, then it's a, uh, this is a classic venture capital metric, okay? So we did a, uh, we did a, uh, some, you know, studies. And we found, we did uh, studies that looked at the, um, the IRR as a function of the total device cost. And by total cost, I mean the cost of the hardware plus the cost of the installation, if, if it was installed by a professional. And then the effectiveness, which is very simply the overall percentage reduction in dollars, in, in claims dollars, right? That's, that's all they care about. How much money did I save? Okay. So for example, an 80% effective device would means that you reduced your claims dollars by 80%. Okay. Uh, similarly, 50% and so on. And then we looked at some of the industry standards. So the, the, the industry standard law or average claim for a water leak loss is 12.5K, $12,500, according to the sure. IIR. Sure. Okay. You know, then you could, with that sort of data, you can make some plots. You can look at, you know, what happens. Okay. And what you find is, is that even if you get an 80% effective device, which is a very highly effective device, they don't have a positive IRR unless they cost less than three hundred dollars. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's a challenge. You have to, yeah. You it has to be low cost. Okay. That's a challenge. Um, now, of course, that raises the question: Why are Chubb and AIG paying to install cut the pipe shutoffs? Because they're not stupid. Okay. No. Right. And the answer is, is that Chubb has publicly said that their average water leak claim is $50,000, not 12.5, okay? But those are the homes that they tend uh, to. And there, uh, you can afford to spend $1,500 for a cut the pipe shut off and have a positive three-year IRR, okay? So it's a... The, the point is, is that obviously, you, you, you know, you want to phase in these, man, you know, as the costs come down... You phase in the mandates, if, if you're going to pay for it, you phase in the mandates as a function of the face value of the policy. You know, the, the more expensive the home, the more expensive the loss, right? So, so, in, an, so in an average situation, the, the average home in America, mm -hmm. whatever that is, yeah. are you thinking that this is, this is a device that the homeowner installs themselves? 
We think that it could be either way. Okay. So one of the advantages. And, and the reason that I asked that, mm-hmm. and thank you for answering. I'm going to jump in with my follow-up. Oh, go ahead. The reason that I asked that is that one of the problems with IoT in general is f- the people, follow-through of the homeowner. People, people don't install them. Right. Which has they, been terrible they, with they water get, devices. They, they, get sent to, they get sent to them and, and then they sit there. So we think it could be either way. And then again, it's just financial. You make a financial decision. But let's let's look at it, okay? Let, we believe that our installing our device is roughly the same complexity as installing a Nest thermostat, okay? Which isn't, okay. You know, Which isn't as, that easy, but not that hard. It's not a, t- you know, if I take another example, Ting, that's easier. Clearly. Ting is easy. All right. I can just plug it into the wall. All right. That's all I right. connected. We actually just, just had them on the podcast. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, on the other hand, you know, Nest, you got to go back to your uh, furnace and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, right. There you go. You got one. Okay. So, you know, you got, you know, there are different levels, but, but on the other hand, I can, I can go online and in the Silicon Valley, I can get a Nest thermostat installed for a hundred dollars. Sure. Okay. Sure. So one possible approach would be that insurers, you know, take a good example. State Farm made a big investment in ADT. ADT installers could install this and, you know, mm-hmm. cost, say, $100. Okay. So if our device costs, if the device, the hardware costs $150, then, you know, you add $100 for install. Now you have a $250 device all in, right? But a hundred percent install, okay? Because it was done by a professional. Alternatively, you pay a hundred. You know, the insurer pays one hundred and fifty dollars, mails it to the user, and only fifty percent of them get installed, okay? Right, right. And guess what? You can do the math on that, okay? Sure. And it turns out actually, our math shows that it's probably better to pay the hundred dollars to have somebody install it. But you know, it's close. All right. So it's, it really is a, again, it's a completely financial decision, okay, whether you do what, you know, the, the, the Ting model and you mail it to everybody and, you know, some percentage of them install it, or whether you actually work with a home security company or smart home installer to get the device installed. Okay, but that has to be, if you're going to do it that way, you have to roll it into the cost of, of, of the device. Okay, when you do your your calculation. Now, another strategy. Uh, so, the one strategy is that the insurer pays for it. Okay, and we've talked about right. that at some length. Right. And there, it's all about return on investment. R O. Yes. Yeah. You know, again yes. and again, I keep saying it's yes. all about the money. Okay. The other strategy is that insurers simply mandate it that the homeowner pay for it as a condition of coverage. And in fact, or maybe or maybe they include a 2% discount or something, you know, right? Some kind of uh, incentive, financial incentive. As an example, you know, I gave the example that Chubb and AIG install cut the pipe shutoffs at their cost. Okay. Another example on the other side is, is that Several months before State Farm left the California market, okay, they actually sent out a letter to all their agents saying, if you want to write a new policy that has a face value more than $2 million, 
it has to have an automatic shutoff. Okay. So, you know, the homeowner was responsible for going and doing that. So that's an alternative way of doing that. All right. Now, in that case, of course, the insurer isn't putting any money on the line. So it's not a strict IRI calculation, but there is an ROI that you need to think about, which is by definition, if you, well, not by definition, but in you would expect that if you force the homeowner to pay for something, some homeowners may decide not to get their insurance with you. They might go to a different insurer that doesn't require that. Okay. So you may have some defections, right? And, you know, you can, you can do some, it's, of course, it's much more difficult to model that because how do you know how many people but, are going to infect? Okay. But you, at least you can, you can determine a range of impact. Certainly. Well, and look, here's the other thing that you don't need to have a, a PhD to know. If something costs $150, you're going to have a hell of a lot less defections than if something costs $1,500. <laughs> okay. So, you know, the, the less expensive it is, the less of a risk you take as an insurer in asking the homeowner to pay for it. Okay. So either way, either whether the insurance insurer pays for it or whether they ask the homeowner to pay for it, clearly a less expensive device is highly desirable. And that's, that's our whole message is less expensive. Okay. So you had said to us before we started today that you guys are the, so let's talk about go to market and give us a quick breakdown of, of what you're thinking there. Or how it's going to work? Well, so our idea is to license this technology to um, hardware manufacturers. I mean, insurers don't want to get involved in building hardware. Okay. So, you know, our idea is that we will license this technology to hardware manufacturers. And, you know, there's a wide range of possibilities. It could be, uh, it could be uh, home security companies, could be People like, you know, uh, Flow, uh, Moen, okay, for example, people that are already making right. pipe solutions. Could be, um, you know, people like um, uh, HSB that, that has a hardware component. You know, they're a reinsurer, so they, you know, they have this hardware group. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but there's a wide range of possible hardware manufacturers uh, that, that could license this technology. All right. And they would be the ones building the technology and they would, and our revenue would come in the form of, uh, licensing royalties, not, not in, you know, trying to build devices and sell them and, and, you know, have a, a gross margin on the hardware. And, and we think that, that, that in order for that to happen, okay. Cause it, you know, this is the big risk that we took that we just don't know, you know, we'll, we'll, we're all going to find out here in another, you know, year or so whether this whether this made sense or not. But the big risk for us is is that we've got this horrible, how should I put it, uh, circular firing squad. You know, there's no there's no consumer demand, so nobody is going to license it right to sell to consumers. I mean, they they know better than that, and there's no insurance demand because the insurers are waiting for a less expensive solution. I mean, Chubb and AIG have, you know, moved forward, but that's a, you know, that's a fraction of the market. But, you know, mass market insurers can't do that. It doesn't make sense to them. And 
and even and and even though State Farm did mandate an automatic or or you know started a mandate in that case they were asking people to pay you know for a a flow or something like that and that's that's expensive and there's a lot of uh, risk of of people you know not being willing to do that um, mm-hmm. so we think that the key is is that the insurers have to drive this okay and that means in in our view it means making clear to the market through mandates that there is a demand for this then hardware manufacturer would be lo- you know would love to license it right but if the hardware if the insurers keep sitting back waiting for the right technology to magically show up it's never going to happen because you know why would anyone put money into this um well so- the, but, but yeah, yeah. But, but this is the this is um the right technology, but there's just not a there's not a tangible product that goes along with it. Rob, we get we get this. We talk to insurers, and we get this all the time. You know, mm-hmm. when can we buy one? All right. Yeah. Well, you aren't doing anything to make that happen. What makes you think you should get one? You know, in other words, it's in it. So, who do you think's going to fund that? You know, I mean, Mister Insurer, who do you think yeah. is going to pay for that? You think that's going to happen? I actually, I love this. I love this because it's kind of, this isn't probably a great analogy, but it's kind of like putting a gun to the insurer's head and saying, you know, this is a good idea. It'll pay for itself a thousand times over. It's easy. There's, There's insulation solutions available, but you have to participate. Yeah. That's that's okay. a bottom line. I mean, you you, you, won't you have, have to you you have to partner with this, or else it doesn't occur. Yeah, right. And you know, it doesn't take again. The insurers, many of them have their own venture capital arm, their right. own venture, right. their own venture right. capital CBC. arm won't right. invest in this. You know, unless you know they're not going to invest in it unless their operating group says you need to. You, you have to. I mean, it's there's no money to make this happen. I mean, we we put a small amount of money and you know some kind of no salary effort into you know over a, a, a period of time to show that it's technically feasible. All right, because I think uh, one of the things that's kind of weird is is that it, we're talking about water leak technology that first appeared over 20 years ago. That's an eternity in Silicon Valley. You know, what's wrong with that picture, all right? Right. And, you know, the, the what's wrong with that picture is, is it's an area that has not gotten any kind of investment to allow innovation. Yeah. Inve- innovation doesn't occur without money. Well, well, you know, it's it's just, that's the real world. So, you know, I think it's a, you know, the reason we're talking to you now is, is that we want to get the message out that, look, there's something out there that works. There's lots of different ways this could come to the market and you could help us, but you have to step up. You can't keep sitting back saying, well, I'll wait until I can get one and, you know, yada, yada. Yeah, fine. (laughs) Okay. Keep waiting. (laughs) I'll tell you what, and this, this might be a good way that we can, um, get involved as well and uh and also re- respect your time today yeah how about if we arrange for a um 
to to get somebody from the carrier side. Yeah, absolutely. A smart person, no strings attached, on the podcast and have this and have this discussion. Love and it. And we'll facilitate a discussion between you. Yeah. And or between Leak Sentinel and yeah. a, a representative of of the of the industry. Right. And facilitate a conversation back and forth could be very interesting. Uh, it might not be surprising at all, yeah. but why don't we say, let's do that. What do you think about that, Lee? I think that's a great idea. Yeah, we, we, we would love the help. I mean, we're, we're at a, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, Bob, with regard to that specifically, you know, kind of another angle on it is you guys do claims management. Okay. Now I, you're not actually, as I understand it, rolling trucks, right? You, you basically have a network of, of, uh, you know, people that, that deal with the problem. But the interesting thing is, is that a, another possibility is, is that the people that, you know, when I had the two water leaks, the first call I made was to service master, yeah. right? Bring in the fans and mop it all up. Right. And, you know, the sort of the obvious thing is, is that they install one of these things, right? <laughs> the insurers could pay them to install it. And they'd love it because, you know, if there is a leak, they could be there before the guy even called. <laughs> right. right, right. So it's kind of a, right. you know, there's a whole bunch of different ways that you could take advantage of this. And I, I'm, I don't claim to have all the ideas at all. I'm sure insurers have a lot of better ideas than I have. But but I think that, you know, the core proposition that if you take this proven functionality and reduce the cost by a factor of 10, it opens up all kinds of interesting possibilities. And and that's what we're, you know, that's what we're seeking to explore. And so I'd love to have that okay. conversation. Okay. Yeah. Then let's, let's, we'll pause. We understand we've, you've set the table. Right. And um, we'll have to reach out through our network, which we'll do. Yeah. And uh, we'll reconvene for chapter two of, of the Link Sentinel story. Super. Because as you know, and you know all too well, you've been in Silicon Valley your whole career. Sometimes you solve a problem that nobody wants to pay for. And you wouldn't be the first one or the last one. But then again, sometimes you solve a problem and you become... Well, the other thing, billionaire. Rob, so, the other thing, Rob, that I've found is that um, it's it, it, sometimes you solve a problem and you know nobody cares about. Okay, and that's just you know, and, and you know that's that's bad. I mean, that the, the the startup that went bankrupt was a good example of that. Okay, that I did that that went bankrupt. All right, it just it turned out it was a problem nobody wanted to solve in the end. Okay. But the other thing that I think is critical in the success of things like this is the structure of the business relationship. How does it get to market? And that's why I think that the, it's, it's much better to approach it with a licensing model where you're flexible because, you know, the classic hardware manufacturer you know, 40% margins, you know, that kind of thing isn't maybe the best way to do this. Yes. No. And I love that angle to it, right? Because usually it's like, let's build this thing and ship it. But you've built a concept. Yeah. We've, we've, and, we've, and, you're, and, and you want to ship that. Right. Well, the main thing is that we've, we, we've, you know, when we first started here, Rob, the principal objection that we 
uh, you know, heard was it won't work. <laughs> okay. That was, the, you know, you can't, you can't sense the flow from outside. It, you can't get it to work in lots of homes, you know, lots of objections, but you know, we've got now something where people can test it themselves and say, you know, yeah, this works. Cool. Well, that's, that's the, that's what, that's what we put our time and money into was overcoming the technical objection. Now there's a whole big other issue. Is this yeah, make business yeah. sense? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, let's, we'll reconvene and uh, we'll invite our audience to uh, come back with us on, um, on chapter two. Great. And we time. thank you so much for, for giving us the time today and that very interesting story oh, that, that you, so that much, you have. And I was, I was going to say, you know, we had Ting on and, and Ting, Ting sent us a yeah. Ting. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. In fact, that's how Lee got his by State Farm sent it to him. Yeah. Um, so, you know, why can't, why can't the same thing happen here? But listen, let's, um, let's get ready for chapter two, and we'll and and that'll happen soon. Great. Okay. Appreciate appreciate the time. What, what, Thank you, man. Thanks yeah. for being on, Bill. You bet. A big thanks for Bill and his team for joining us today, and for the explaining and rather unusual concept. I'm sure you'll all, all agree. Thanks to you for being here to our production team for making this happen. And until next time we say, goodbye everybody.